Hello, this is Carolina with Temecula Town Podcast, and today on this episode I have Lexington Howe, author of Rumide, Creatures of the Dark, and she also happens to be a local journalist. And I just want to say that I really loved the audiobook. So I like how it, it you know, it, I could relate to like, and I mentioned to this to you before, like past, present, and future. I, I was able to do that with your audiobook, so that was really awesome. Um, so the setting of your book takes place in England, early early 20th century. So why did you decide to use that time frame and that geographic location? I wrote this book quite a few years ago, but at the time I was really into kind of like the Victorian era, um, steampunk type of feel. And so I loved London in that area and I really loved that London during that time frame so that's why I chose that as my setting the only really difficult part was I had never personally been there so I had to do a lot of kind of background research and of course the book is fictional so not everything is you know exactly geographically correct but I did try to do a lot of research beforehand and that's why I did pick the setting though I just thought the setting itself during that time period was really unique so yeah yeah that makes sense I was just thinking like also like I don't know in my brain I was thinking like okay that was probably before the U.S. was even like a world power so maybe Uh that was just like at the time the U.K. or England was just a a very powerful nation at the time so I just kind of like imagine that you know what I mean it was before for World War One and World War Two. can you tell me about your inspiration for creating Rumai what was your um, influences and your inspirations I know you mentioned something about like being infatuated with the Victorian steampunk but it was there other stories or anything that influenced you to create this book yeah so actually I you know I did a lot uh, reading back in the day of like the classics so I read you know Mary Shelley's Frankenstein 1984 Fahrenheit 451 I read the uh, the time machine all those books though all those most of them have an underlying theme of, of this government control and I don't want to get into like any of that but you know like it has this like feel of you know someone's always watching someone there's always a bigger power at hand yeah for and sure so um, when I wrote the book at the time, it's funny is because I published it this year, um, and I got a lot of people who said, well, did you do this because of the pandemic? And I actually was like, actually, no, I wrote this book many years before. And so when I wrote it, I was going through a difficult spot in my life. And, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of people to guide me. And so I kind of poured myself into my writing and that was one of the biggest influences of me finishing the book. I finished it, yeah, I'd say maybe two, three years ago. And, you know, it's it's pretty dark. A lot of people have mentioned that, yeah, it's kind of a dark book. And I'm like, yeah, it, it is. Because when I was writing it, what was inspiring me was my own experiences and my negative experiences with a lot of things in my life. And so that's kind of why the book went in that direction. But... I do love, like, the authors that, you know, Frankenstein is about this guy that creates this monster that no one loves and no one treats with respect. And the same with, like, 1984, 
you've got a, a, a government that's overseeing and it's, it's Big Brother. And basically, I just wanted to infuse those type of authors into my work. And so that's kind of what really fueled and what inspired it. Wow. I, I've read both of those books, Frankenstein and 1984. I really enjoyed them. And I did I did pick up some of the futuristic of like 1984 and the suppression because people in a way kind of feel that way right now. And so I guess that's why, you know, when you talk to your people and they were saying, oh, did you write this because of the pandemic? Well, there is a lot of similarities, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but there are certain things that we cannot do. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it just feels so like a different world, you know, things yeah. that you've read about. And it's like, oh, my God, is this really true? And, you know, we're doing this because we all want to, you know, be safe and healthy. But at the same time, there's this um, thought of like, oh, well, I read this before. There was a conspiracy about something similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I can see why people say that. So what does a frumai actually look like? Do you have a visual or a picture (laughs) of it? So, yeah, so when I was creating it, um, you know, I'm I'm not much of an artist uh, per se, but I I had this picture in my mind, and what's funny is I wanted to, you know, get that picture on paper, but I haven't actually done it yet. What happened was when I first created the book, it actually had a different title. It was called Remnants which is, you know, the remains of, like, well, the remains of a lot of different things. Yeah. And so I changed it just because I felt mm, the word what, the word didn't fit the character enough, and so that's why I changed the word. But, you know, the character itself is, I don't want to say that it's us, but at the same time, we can become so, like, desensitized from reality that we start to kind of lose ourselves. And I think a lot of times in our own lives we start to go off track and we don't realize it until it's kind of too late. The Rumai is kind of this grotesque green. It depends on, on which one it is, but they all kind of look the same. They all are just, they're, they're a number in the system. They're, they're nothing unique. There's nothing special about them. And I think that's what, why Oliver, you know, is working to try to prevent, you know, Rumai from, well, I don't want to say taking over, but yeah, basically... Because he realizes that when you lose your humanity, you know, that's the only personal thing about you. That's what makes you who you are. The creature itself is, you know, it's, it's hard to picture just because, you know, I have this image in my head and I'm sure when you read it, you had an image in your head. Right. Um, I actually drew something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's uh, depicted of like what you're, you know, thinking of, but, uh. I don't know. I think it's great to actually listen to a book and do art, and it mm-hmm. kind of influences it. I don't know. I, I, I mean, that's that was my pastime yeah. with it. I'm actually I'm hoping in the soon near to be future to actually uh, get someone to do the artwork of the Rumai for me, just because I would love to actually have it on paper. But yeah, it's just this creature that you don't you know that you don't want to associate or be around, and so I think. Everyone has, I kind of like the fact that, I know like when you watch the movies and, uh, you know, you read the book and you're like, wait, I read the book first and the movie doesn't like, there's nothing that these two characters look like, they don't look the same in my head compared to the movie version. Yeah. And so I like the fact that like, there isn't really an image out there of a Rumai and so you basically, the, the person reading it can, you know, decide for themselves what it looks like. So you actually draw, though. I just, like, was watching you on Instagram, and you you drew a, um, oh, I can't even, like, place the name. I watch it all the time. What is it? A, 
Uh, Mandalorian. Mandalorians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that came out pretty good. I mean, you, you're still going to paint it, right, I'm assuming, or color it in, or is it just a sketch? Um, so basically, yeah, I mean, I... I was bored one day, and, you know, I love Star Wars. I'm, I'm an overly huge Star Wars fan, and so I drew the Mandalorian with Baby Yoda, and then um, my plan is actually, I like to I like to use ballpoint um, Sharpie pens, and uh, so I'll probably re-outline him in that, and then um, my plan is to, that's, that was just a small part of the paper, but to do more of the characters from the Mandalorian on that same page, kind of like they used to do with the old Star Wars posters, where there was like eight characters on one poster, and they yeah. were all doing something in the frame, yeah. Very cool. Do you have any other future writing projects as a writer or a journalist? I am planning to eventually write a second book for Room I. I just um, haven't done it yet. <laughs> I do have another book that I wrote, but it's not published, and I'm not sure if I ever will publish it, just because it's, it's, I wrote it when I was a lot younger, and it's quite a doozy to edit, (laughs) so, so I'm not sure, but yeah, I I am planning on writing another book. And so, you are from Temecula area, that is correct, right? Yes. And you studied journalism at SDSU, um, mm-hmm. You worked for several publications in San Diego. What's the wildest story you had to report on as a journalist? So, actually, what got me started in journalism was uh, I was at Palomar College um, on their on their student newspaper called The Telescope, and we got a letter one day from the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. I was like, um, does anyone, has anyone read this letter? And they're like, yeah, we're ignoring it. We're not going to do anything with it. I'm like, why? Why wouldn't you talk to these people? And they're like, we don't want to talk to them. You know, like everyone knows who they are. We don't want to talk to them and, uh, in bad publicity. Well, what the letter was about was they, um, this guy from the, from the clan wrote a letter to the, to a bunch of schools actually. Uh, requesting that we look into this book that was being written against them. And, and the, he, the guy was saying, well, you know, the book's not accurate and we're not a white supremacist group and all this stuff. And so I was very curious. So I actually reached out to the author on my own and I was like, hey, can I talk to you, you know, um, about the book you wrote? And she's like, yeah, yeah, of course, no problem. So I talked to her and then um, I was super nervous because I was a brand new journalist. I didn't know what I was doing. I think I had maybe interviewed, like, one other time or two other times. Basically, I reached out to the guy who wrote the letter, and I was like, you know, hi, I'm a journalist. I'd like to talk to you. And he was like, okay, um, I'll give you this number, but it's my burner phone, so don't, like, don't plan on calling me again after we talk. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So uh, I got him on the phone, and he was talking to me about, you know, the, the clan and stuff that he was actually one of the one of the higher clans members in the clan and he was telling me you know about his background his life and how he had become a member of the Ku Klux Klan and basically his version of why he thought it was so wrong that this book was basically slandering their name and so I, I just remember I was sitting there and I, I didn't say anything and we got like halfway through the interview and he was like he's like can I ask you a question and I was like yeah and he goes well, how come you haven't told me your opinion yet and I was like well what do you mean and he's like well normally by now a journalist will be like you know let me tell you why you're wrong and let me tell you all this stuff and then usually I just hang up on him he said but 
but you haven't said anything. And I, I just told him, I was like, well, it's not my place. You know, as a journalist, I'm, I'm neutral. I'm just, I'm just here to listen to you. Right. And so he actually stayed on the line with me. He's, he told me, he was like, you're probably one of the few that I've actually finished a phone call with. And so I ended up writing the story on him and I wrote the story on him and I, I did it from the perspective of her as well and, and published a story. And that, that right there was really crazy for me because one, I was talking to like a KKK member, which I thought I would never do. And then, um, wow. it was, just, it, it opened my eyes to the possibility of like, wow, there's a lot of people out there that have really interesting and crazy stories. And, you know, for one to five to 10 minutes, I get to, I get to be in their shoes and experience it. And so that's really what got me into journalism. Wow. Wow. That's, that's pretty interesting. Did, and you ended up publishing that story? I did end up publishing it. Yeah. And, um, the story is very neutral. And so people were like surprised when it came out. They're like, we're surprised you wrote, you wrote about it. And I'll, uh, just because a lot of people that were my age during that time were wanting to, wanting to write, you know, one sided, either one or the other. And I was like, no, you can't like as a journalist, you just got to be neutral and that's how it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And so after I wrote it, my, um, my we, it, it was like a journalism class so basically our teacher was our overseer and so she brought me in and she's like she's like so you wrote this story and I'm like yeah and she's like hmm, okay she's like and then she made me editor eventually so it ended up working out but yeah I went from being a writer for like two weeks and then after I wrote that story I became one of the editors wow so. yeah well that's what you gotta do take risks and yeah. sometimes do the um unconventional thing you know even though you don't agree with it necessarily that's what a journalist does yeah so cool well thanks Lexington for doing this do you want to share your um how to get a hold of you any handles or um websites or links that you have I have an Instagram, and it is Lexington Kinsley. I can spell it if you'd like, because it's kind of long. <laughs> it's L-E-X-I-N-G-T-O-N-K-I-N-S-L-E-Y, and it's all one one word. I do have a Facebook, and it also is Lexington Kinsley, and both of those have links to the audiobook. If people want to listen to the book, like they can always reach out to me, and I can get them a, a code to access it. That's the thing about writing is is I don't I don't write it necessarily for the reason of making money off of it. I just I like writing so that other people can like enjoy it. So, you know, if someone out there is like, Oh, I really wanna to listen to it, I really wanna read it, like they are totally available to, they're totally free to reach out to me and I'll like get get them a copy. All right, so we're going to end this episode by playing a song performed by Julian Calkins. She happens to be a local musician, and I believe she performed at Pachanga quite a few times and other local venues. And this is a French song. It is called Des Perles I think I'm saying that right. I don't know. He Reflète la lumière Elle vient de ma vie imaginaire Des perles jetées par terre Quelqu'un les a laissées tomber 
peut-être c'est quelqu'un qui un jour arrivera. Et moi, la solitaire, je les assemble par terre. Encore un jour, la plus belle poésie se trouve bien perdue et ainsi tourne une page sans chapitre de ma vie. Et vole mon destin vite comme la pluie, cette histoire. Raconte-moi la fin. Peut-être c'est quelqu'un qui un jour arrivera. Et moi, la solitaire, je les assemble par terre. Encore un jour, la plus belle poésie se trouve. Chapitre de ma vie et vole mon destin vite comme la pluie. Cette histoire, raconte-moi la fin. Encore un jour, la plus belle poésie se trouve bien perdue et ainsi tourne une page ton chapitre de ma vie et vole mon destin vite comme la pluie. Cette histoire. to Temecula Town Podcast. This is Carolina, and I hope you enjoyed the interview. If you would like to submit ideas or comments about how to do this podcast better, or if there's any stories you'd like to share, um, please email me at TemeculaTownPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.